Hey guys, this is Chase from the Everyday Christian Podcast. Before we get into the episode for this week, I wanted to let you know a quick scheduling update. I think that Lookout for Landmines has run its course for this season. For the last few episodes of this season of the Everyday Christian Podcast, we're going to sit down with Joe Wells. That's right, Joe Wells is going to sit down with us and we're going to talk about his book that I really thoroughly enjoyed reading, Game Plan, on the Everyday Christian Podcast. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green. This is a podcast where we remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. This is a podcast with the Scattered Abroad Network of Podcasts. Go over to our website, scatteredabroad.org. Make sure you check out all the various podcasts that we have for you each day of the week. I'm very glad to have Brother Joe Wells with us on the podcast today. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Chase. Thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely. Joe has been doing uh, a really good job with a, a gospel meeting for us here in Marietta, Oklahoma this week. So I wanted to make sure and uh, grab him and see what we could uh, record uh, for the podcast today. Um, Joe, if you would, just kind of introduce yourself a little bit and maybe talk about your podcast and Kyo Publications and anything else you, you have going on that you'd like to uh, plug for us. Absolutely. Well, obviously, uh, you know, I tell people about myself and, and I tell them that uh, number one, there's nothing really special about me. I'm, I'm trying to be a servant of God and try to present myself usable to him. However, he's going to see fit to do that. And, but, uh, from a funny standpoint, I tell people that, you know, there are three B's that people can know me by. I'm a big man. I'm a bald man and I'm a beautiful man. And so, uh, <laughs> whether or not you, you think one of those is, uh, up for discussion or not is, is a question. But, uh, I, I do, I do have fun in ministry. I love, helping people make a connection with the Word of God and thus uh, striving to make a connection with with Jesus Christ. And I'm blessed to be married to Aaron, and we have four children that are in this adventure with me. And so that's part of what we do. And and Aaron is uh, one of the co-founders, along with myself, of Kyle Publications. And uh, we produce resources for families, believing that if we can help strengthen families, that we'll help strengthen the Lord's church. And so if you're interested in in more detail about that, we offer quite a bit, but you can find it at kyopublications.org. Absolutely, and uh, we'll try to link that in our show notes uh, so that our listeners can make sure and find that easily as well. And uh, your podcast with uh, the Light Network is yeah. the Hey Joe Show. The Hey Joe Show, brother. We uh, deal with current cultural events and uh, do it do so trying to be just real. Uh, I don't. I don't want that podcast. I try not to make it too preachy sounding. Right. Uh, I want it to be very. Uh, what's going on culturally speaking today that our families and our young people are up against, and then how can we respond to that? How do we view that or frame that discussion through a biblical worldview? And so that's that's the the purpose of the Hey Joe Show. And we've been uh, we've been going for quite some time. I, I may be wrong in this, but I believe we're the longest running podcast that deals with the subject of youth, family, and culture amongst the churches of Christ. That is awesome. And this is something that is much, much needed. Um, I wish I would have found it a lot sooner (laughs) and other resources like it, um, because this is just, it's such a major thing. You know, we've been talking about the decline of the American family for for decades now. Mm -hmm. You know, the 1960s was a long time ago, and that's really when we saw a big push uh, in the decline of the American family. This has been going on for ab- 
absolutely a long, long time, and, and we need resources to be able to combat, you know, what's going on. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, one of the things I try to tell people is that uh, we don't live in those times gone by. And uh, ever since um, it was signed into law, believe it or not, in California by Ronald Reagan, the no-fault divorce uh, that was signed into law, Americans' family, the American family has been changing drastically. Uh, you, and you think about what went through in the 60s, what went through, you know, in the long in the 70s and 80s. And um, individuals at one time, they used to have to go before a justice of a peace to get a divorce. And even at that, they would deny it except for a, a period of time of cooling off or maybe counseling. But anymore, that's not the way it is. And so if marriage is viewed as something easy to get into and easy to get out of, um, then what happens is you have individuals who have been demonstrating that. And unfortunately, that's been playing into the way the younger generations view marriage. Right. So uh, something I mentioned here is we have higher rates of cohabitation today than we've ever had, even even though the divorce rate in America seems to be going down. But that's not because the American family, the marriage, is staying together more. It's that we have fewer and fewer people getting married. Right. Yeah. And so the, the rates of divorce go down because of the rates of marriage. That's down. correct. Right. So... Yeah, it's definitely a little bit misleading if you just look at it on the surface level and, and you're not really thinking about what's going on. There. Right. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, I uh, I read a book of yours and you've got several and you can you can talk about them uh, as you as you want to, but I read one uh, called Game Plan uh, last year and it's called uh, Game Plan Develop a Spiritually Winning Strategy for Adults and Teens in Today's Culture. I'll try to link that book in the description as well. But I read this last year, and number one, I said, I've got to teach some of this to our young people. And number two, I said, I've got to try to get Joe Wells here for a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, not trying to be over overly flattery or, or anything like that, but seriously. No, really, just keep this, saying it. Just keep saying <laughs> okay. it. Okay. No. Seriously, this is one of the best books that I have read in a long time in the Brotherhood. It, it's just dealing with so much. Uh, I guess, how we got here as a culture. And yeah. so what I want to do for the podcast uh, today, and, and we'll probably break this into several weeks, um, what I want to do is I want to go through some of this book, if you will, and, and let me kind of plug your book and sure. uh, increase some of those book sales for you. Hey, anything like that would be a blessing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we want to kind of go through this this book, Game Plan. And as I said, I, I highly recommend it, just highly recommend it. But what's so scary, Joe, in, uh, right in the title of your book is those last few words, in today's culture. We're in a culture war, aren't we, Joe? We are, and some people don't like that. Um, I've, I've run into some individuals who believe that as Christians, we shouldn't be looking at it as a standpoint of that we're at war uh, in society because they feel like that kind of frames the discussion in a negative term. Right. Uh, but I still stand by that concept, and it's not because I, as a child of God, have deemed that we're in a culture war. I believe the Bible teaches uh, that we are engaged in warfare. I, I believe Ephesians chapter 6 teaches that. Absolutely. Um, it's not with flesh and blood, uh, but it is with the the principalities of darkness. It is with the, the thoughts, the worldviews, the agendas that are trying to diminish uh, a Christian worldview and uh, a Christian stance, even the concept of things that used to never be thought of as okay and acceptable in our world today. Uh, there really is a fulfillment that things that used to be bad are now called good and what used to be 
called good is now called bad. If, and, and those are all sides, right, that have been framed. And, and it's not because I, as a Christian, choose to frame it that way. It's just a recognition of where we are. We, we do not live in a day and age where you can passively uh, skip through life whistle, whistling zippity-doo-dah right. and pretend that Satan is just kind of over there bothering other people. No, he's active, and it's apparent even more so today, I believe, than when I first started in ministry, how just up front and, and so in your face the agendas are and the attacks not just on Christianity, but on the American family, on values and ethics that used to be taken for granted. Absolutely. And you mentioned the word agenda. And, you know, I've heard people that are espousing these things. They say, oh, there's no agenda. There's no agenda. Yes, there absolutely is. (laughs) Uh, There are agendas uh, at play for sure. And, I mean, anybody who can look at what's going on right now uh, in the year 2022, and not think that there are agendas at play, you've got to be blind. You've got to be fooling yourself. Sure. And, and agendas, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I operate with agendas. Sure. Right. Um, because my agenda is to help people walk closer with the Lord. Mm-hmm. But I don't hide that. You know, I mean, it's, it's one thing to, to say, well, agenda should not ex- exist. Well, if I'm going to think through that statement logically, it is your agenda that agendas should not exist. I mean, it's an illogical statement <laughs> right. to say that agendas will not exist, right? Exactly. So as, as Christians, we have agendas. Our agenda is to bring people to Jesus mm-hmm. so that he will save them. Um, so the people who, first of all, say, oh, well, there's no agenda here, that, that's disingenuous. Absolutely. It's not honest. It's It, it lacks integrity. And if somebody's going to really take that point of view in, in that position— you've got to question their starting point of the discussion anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're not going to start off being honest and with integrity, then you can bet along the way the discussion will not contain integrity and honesty. Absolutely. Let's kind of just walk it back for a moment and talk about the idea of, of an agenda. Let's say somebody says, well, what's on the agenda today? That's your plan, right? Yeah. And we're talking, about game, we're talking about game plan. Well, here's the deal. The devil's got a game plan too, and he's had it for a long time. And he's been working on it. He's been developing it bit by bit, little by little. He, he puts things in here. Oh, well, you know, we don't agree with that, but it's just one small part of the movie. And we'll just skip past that and, and watch the rest and everything's fine. And then he adds a little bit more to the next movie and then a little bit more to the music and a little bit more to uh, society and, and what's being taught in secular uh, education and, and different things like that. He adds a little by little, and that's his agenda. Sure, and you think about what he's doing in that is really what we've seen play out, not just with ultimately his agenda, but with those whom are operating under his principles with his end is a a phrase that oftentimes goes with agenda, which is desensitization. Right. Um, I don't have to ask you to swallow the whole cow right now, but I can get you to eat the whole cow by eating it piece by piece. And the same as it is with agendas, right? When you start talking about being desensitized, I don't have to introduce a full-out homosexual scene on that movie, but I can get it to a point where you become more accepting of immoral lifestyles. And I would I would propose to you that's exactly what's happened even in my lifetime, because I remember back when TV shows couldn't even show nudity, that it was a big deal when they showed someone's backside. Right. Well, nowadays, I mean, there are shows that are out on TV that... The, 
to show somebody's backside is just a part of it. Um, and so that's tame compared to some of the other things. Right. That's what I'm saying. I remember when it was a big deal that the show that was coming out was going to show somebody's backside. And, and I say all that only to say this agendas oftentimes take time to develop. Right. And that's when you start talking about game plan, either be it those who are coming up with and implementing from a secular uh, nature, trying to take our children more towards secular humanism, or even within a Christian home of a mom and dad who are wanting to raise their children to be faithful when they leave their home, agendas take time to develop. You don't come up with an agenda right now and see an immediate result right now, typically. Right. It takes years. And so it's like, okay, I tell people, you don't start raising teenagers when they become teenagers. You begin raising teenagers when they're born. Absolutely. And the same is the case with agendas that are trying to draw our children into a more secular humanistic concept is it's not that um, the health classes that your children get in their schools or the TV shows that, you know, make these little comments that they're innocent. They're all part of the agenda. And uh, I'll never forget. And I may have I think I wrote about it in this book, Viacom, which was actually uh, the parent company of MTV. Well, Viacom also has other entities that were underneath it at that time, and Nickelodeon was one of those entities. And so Viacom had a uh, kind of a motto, their agenda, which was called From the Cradle to the Grave. And their goal was to hook you when you're young and keep you to the time you die. Well, that's called an agenda, and that's a long-term agenda. And oftentimes that occurs with small chunks of desensitization. And that's what we see. Uh, I firmly believe when you do a historical research of our culture, you talk about in today's culture, our culture, we didn't get here overnight. Mm-hmm. This took years, decades right. to get where we are today. Absolutely. Well, I, I want to kind of go through some of these chapters. And obviously, we're not going to go through the whole book. Uh, this is not going to be a reading. Uh, you need to buy the book, folks. I'm telling you, I highly recommend this one. If you, if you don't buy any other religious books this year, buy this one. And read it. Uh, I read the whole book, by the way. I have a I have a problem nice. <laughs> with uh, reading about half of a book and then putting it down. But I couldn't put this <laughs> one down. It is out, absolutely outstanding. But uh, chapter one, uh, I don't have a whole lot of notes on this. It, this is kind of just off the cuff, just you know whatever comes to mind. But uh, the title of your your book is, or, or the title of chapter one is, "Who are they?" And we're talking about. Teenagers, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I guess, can you kind of explain what you meant by that when you, you, you talked about the idea of who are they and, and kind of the development of the concept of a teenager? Yeah, um, it's rooted in the idea of um, t- the concept of teenager is a cultural, uh, a culturally defined concept. And the reason I say that is because in our history in America, there was a time when there was no recognized demographic of a teenager. Uh, You were either considered uh, young, you were considered an adult, or you were considered somebody of old age. Um, There wasn't this subset of, well, you're really not a kid anymore, but you're really not an adult. Uh, That actually was an invention of culture as well, post-World War II. Um, And really what happened was, and you can trace back through the history um, most young people, they only went to school up to a certain point, and then they would go out and help on their family farms. If you were a 15-year-old who was still in school, that was an old concept. But they were also getting married at much earlier ages. 
there seems to be like there was a different expectation for young people back in the 1800s, um, even at the foundation of America. And so when I say that, who are they? And then I uh, define that by they, that teenagers are a cultural defined demographic. What I mean by that is post-World War II, we saw a major shift in the behavior and the activities of our young people. Uh, 1938, the Fair Labor Standard Act also played into that where it required a minimum wage and, and it set parameters on the hours that young people could work. Well, employers said, well, why would I hire a young person to do that job if I can only work them so much, but I have to pay them the same as an adult. Uh, so what happened is we saw young people being pushed out of the workforce, even with the passing of the Fair Labor Standard Act in 1938. But post-World War II, things really changed. Um, and I say post-World War II, it actually occurred during World War II as more and more young people then were going into the schools. And so we saw a drastic increase in high school graduation uh, rates after World War II as compared to before World War II. Well, it, that's also when we started seeing society developing certain, um, certain items, certain consumables for people who were in that demographic. So you think back post-World War II, what do we find coming out of that? And there's a lot of romanticism with coming out of post-World War II for good reasons. We had just won a major war, salaries were up, new car sales were up, new home sales were up. Teenagers had more discretionary spending than they had ever had before. They had stopped spending as much time around adults and started spending more time around peer groups. Um, but that's also when we started seeing um, music being amplified and, and kind of produced at a higher rate that really focused on that demographic. We started seeing magazines. Seventeen Magazine came about in that time period. We started seeing movies, which were called teen angst films, um, that really began being ramped up. And so these consumables were all because there was a recognition that teenagers want to be recognized as a separate subset. They didn't want to be recognized as kids, but they didn't want to be recognized as adults because they were spending more time around their peers but there was money to be made. And so from a cultural standpoint, we really did shape what we believe a teenager is. And of course there were psychologists that came along and defined breakdowns like Eric Erickson of the teenage, you know, the adolescent development of the brain. And, and, and to some extent, I, I don't disagree. You know, we know now as things continue to advance that the, the prefrontal cortex of the brain doesn't develop fully until the age of 25. And so, you look at that and you go, okay, we know more now. And we do. We do know more now than they knew in the 1800s. But I would also say this, that kids oftentimes will rise to the level of expectations that are set for them. And if expectations are set low, then don't be surprised if they reach a low expectation. Absolutely. And um, you talk a lot about this in chapter two, which is titled uh, Marketing to Teens. And um, you mentioned all these things that, you know, in the after the war that really ramped up with the, the, uh, the music and the movies and 17 magazine you mentioned on mm -hmm. page 14. And I want to read something uh, that you wrote regarding that. This is on page 14 of your book. It says, while most in the 1940s marketing uh, world did not believe the teenage demographic was something to waste time on, 51, 51 year old grandmother, Helen Valentine saw potential 
1944, Valentine launched Seventeen Magazine and began her crusade to convince retailers and manufacturers to target teenage girls. Her campaign was vindicated when they, the very first edition of Seventeen sold out 400,000 copies within two days, and the second printing uh, of the first issue sold out 500,000 in the same time frame. And within 16 months, the circulation had topped a million subscribers. They really found an untapped market, didn't they? Oh, absolutely they did. And and that goes back to the discretionary spending that teenagers had. You think back, you know, historically speaking, teenagers, teenagers always had music. They always had um, kind of their friends that they wanted to hang out with. They just didn't always have the time and the same opportunities. But after World War II, as incomes went up, new home sales went up, new car sales went up, um, there was money that was available to teenagers. But because they did not have the same responsibilities that they had at one time, then they could spend that money on what they wanted. It's kind of, Um, we use the term blow money. Yeah, and that's what they had. Right. You know, um, they had that blow money. And so the magazine, this individual, you know, Helen Valentine, she saw an opportunity to capitalize on that. Right. Which... You got to understand something. I know you know this, and I'm guessing your listeners do. Money drives so many agendas. Oh, yeah. Um, If it's not monetarily beneficial, then oftentimes it will not be pursued. But on the same side, if you then want to thwart an agenda, you must, you know, act against it in a financial manner. And of course, you know, we could chase every rabbit on that one. But with the agendas that are going on today regarding the advancement of the transgender movement, sexual identity confusion, uh, the demise of the American family. Um, I actually had an executive with PepsiCo once tell me, I sat down with him and I said, I don't understand. Why does Pepsi pursue uh, uh, the homosexual demographic at such a rate that they do at the risk of losing so many Christians? Because, you know, the, the homosexual population in, in the research, it was like 3 to 5% of the American population. And at that time, there were more people who professed to be Christians than even today. The numbers has gone down. But at that time, it was like 73 to 75% of Americans professed to be active Christians. And so it was like, it didn't make sense. Why would you go after the 3, three to 5% and risk losing the 75%? And he made the comment. He goes, you're absolutely right. If the 75% would stop buying our product, then it would not be beneficial for us to go after the three to 5%, which that's why I'm telling you, Helen Valentine knew something. And that was this money drives. And if you can tap into something that the teenagers want, then you're going to see it fly off the shelf. And that's what happened. It's just funny to me when you really start looking at the early days of 17 magazine, even back then they were advertising things like makeup, like their mother's wore, um, laundry soap that their mothers bought, um, it wasn't the trash that's out there today, right. but that's because as a generation, we were raising our young ladies to become like their mothers. Right. And that's a, that changed drastically in the sixties and seventies with right. 17 magazine. Right. Absolutely. And moving on from 17 magazine, just another example of this, you mentioned uh, rock and roll and uh, pages 16 and following. If someone has a copy of the book and is following along, if not buy it, pause it and then, Read, read along with us. But uh, you talk about folks like Duke of Duke Ellington. Mm-hmm. I won't say Duke of Ellington. It sounds like a British Yeah, name. it does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Moondog Alan Freed. I actually watched a documentary on him. That's that pretty cool. Pretty wasn't fascinating. It? Yeah. Uh, just what he what he did and yep. promoted. Uh, and then, of course, nobody can forget Elvis Presley. Mm-hmm. And uh, great voice, but he he was a proponent of some things that changed America for the bad, didn't he? Elvis. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. He was his. Uh, you know what amaz- amazes me about all that period. Um, is it was a it was a rough time in American history with uh, racial divide. There was no doubt about that. We oh, can't yeah. run away from that, right? Um, but teenagers, it, you know, the biggest draw who had the money was suburbia white Americans, but their families on the whole didn't want them listening to what was called race music. And so, you know, the Moon Dog Show, as you mentioned with Freed. The idea was that would come on late at night after parents were in bed. And, of course, kids didn't have cell phones to listen to music as they went to bed up in their rooms. If anything, they had these huge radios. And the radios most likely had to be in a big area because families didn't have a bunch of them. Well, they would play that music at night. And so uh, he would take money to play music. And, of course, there was a big deal with DJs taking money under the table and what that all meant. But he tapped into something, and that was there was a hunger amongst the the growing teenage demographic. Well, that's when Elvis comes on the scene. Elvis was the right skin color for the time, uh, but he sang what's called rockabilly, but ultimately he took the racial music tones and, and the things that were attracting the teenagers, and that's what he brought in. But he also advocated, obviously, a lot of uh, hip gyrations and inappropriate uh, views on, uh, I guess, promiscuity when it came to the way that he presented himself and the things that he wanted to advance. And so um, that was the biggest thing, which is why he was not accepted initially uh, on the uh, Ed Sullivan show. Right. So basically yeah. at first, if I if I remember right, he, he did something that was really provocative. Yeah. And then he came back later and did something more uh, acceptable yeah. and just basically crooning and not doing all the, you know, the, the hip, Gyrations and yeah. stuff, and was it Ed that said he's he's a, fine, a pretty good boy, fine, yeah, young, fine man. young man, and that was it, man. When you got Ed Sullivan to say that, right, you were in, and right. so from then on, he had a rec- he had the recognition, the music took off, and so uh, yeah, I mean, but you think about, can you imagine a time in America where we wouldn't even pan down below the waist because the movements were provocative enough, and then right. we've got Miley Cyrus today oh. doing everything that she's doing, and you know, people who just watch whatever video awards and it's like, okay, is that even something that shocks people today? Right. And which goes back to the agenda. You think about how agendas work. It's over time. Satan knows exactly how to desensitize people. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really appalling and it's just hard to believe how desensitized we are that now nothing shocks us. It, it really is sad. Yeah, it really is. So even to the point where we have individuals walking around in basically nothing but pantyhose. Yeah. Showing the shapes of bodies and our culture is so used to it that it nobody even thinks anything about it. You see it all the time. That's right. Yeah. That's why I will tell you, yoga pants are not pants. Absolutely. <laughs> to- totally inappropriate. I, d- I don't understand it at all. Yeah. Um, so you move on from music and then you go into movies and you mentioned a couple of movies, uh, ground, groundbreaking films like Blackboard Jungle and uh, Rebel Without a Cause, mm-hmm. James Dean. 
And uh, these sorts of movies really created the bad boy stereotype. Mm -hmm. And uh, these guys became heartthrobs. And all the young ladies, they said, hey, I want the bad boy. And It's weird. I I don't know what it is about um, the taboo that seems to be attractive. Right. You know, I go back to the Garden of Eden. That piece of fruit was taboo. Right. From the standpoint of we knew we should... She wasn't supposed to eat it. Adam knew he wasn't supposed to eat it. So if having the knowledge of something is not enough to stop you, what is it about it that so overcomes an intellectual knowledge, right? Well, it's the same question about David. David knew Bathsheba wasn't his wife, but he knew that, but it wasn't enough to stop him. And so when I think about ministry and I think about relating to people, I'm going, wait a second, I got... You can look in the Bible numerous times where having intellectual knowledge was not enough to stop something. And so there's got to be a, there's, there apparently is a draw to the forbidden. Right? And so, yeah. And so when I look at this, these movies and you're talking about why did these bad guys become what was looked at as the, the heartthrob, right? And of course, I'm not going to sit here and suggest to you that it wasn't the looks of James Dean, Right. But it was also what was it so much about what was going on in culture at the time that we did see an attraction to what I would say would have been the taboo, the bad guy. And of course, all of that is because there was this growing concept of adults don't understand teens. Teens are more mature than adults give them credit for. And it really was kind of an asserting of uh, individuality. And so Blackboard Jungle, Rebel Without a Cause, um, you know, you go through the list of of everything that was there, all these cultural uh, iconic movies. And what you're going to find is it played directly into the growing change and the growing development of the teenage demographic of we're independent, we're more responsible than adults give us credit for. Um, We need to be recognized for who we are. Therefore, we're going to come up with movies that are what are called teen angst films, which is the younger, the younger population are the ones who figure it all out. And the older population within the movie, those are the bad guys. Those are the ones that are inhabited by the aliens. Those are the ones that have ulterior motives and just don't get the kids. And if the world is going to be saved, then the teenagers have to save the world. Yep. Right. And then you kind of fast forward to the eighties. And when I was growing up the nineties and two thousands, you know, you go from, these uh, bad boy stereotype, uh, you end up getting these coming of age films, so called, mm-hmm. and really they're party films, they're revelry, they're uh, raucous type yeah. deals. I remember when I was a kid, American Pie came out, and just mm-hmm. absolute horrible filth. And of course, I didn't go see it, but I was aware of the content just from the trailers and people talking about it. And and you, you think about countless examples that are similar to that and continue to this day. And that is now our view of teenagers and young college kids. Sure. They're partiers. They're sowing their wild oats. They're, um, they're going to have fun and just live it up. Uh, and that's why I tell you, who are they? They're a, they're a subset of the population that has been crafted and shaped and molded by, um, previous generations by agendas. And so that's why I tell people today, if you don't like what's going on with the teenage population today, you really 
should not point at the teenage population and say they're the problem. You really need to point at previous generations and say, why didn't those agendas get shut down? Why did parents allow the things that they allowed back in the day to get to where they are? Of course, that's never a popular concept, right? Because uh, we need to stand accountable for our own uh, behaviors. And we really do. I don't, I'm not dismissing teenage, the teenage demographic and population at all and their responsibility. However, I will say this. If you really want to know who are they and how did we get here, they were shaped by previous generations. Absolutely. That's just the truth. For sure. All right. For time's sake, we're going to go ahead and pause the episode at this point for this week. Lord willing, we will continue this discussion with Joe Wells next week on the Everyday Christian Podcast. What's up, guys? It's Caleb and Michael over here from the Scattered Abroad Network, and we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to this episode. Yeah, we're so thankful to the East Hill Church of Christ for overseeing this network, and we're grateful to God for this opportunity. And don't forget, you can check out our show notes below for all of our social media links, email address, website, and we have a monthly newsletter, so don't forget to sign up for that. Please remember to leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform it is that you use, and please continue to keep our network in your prayers. As always, thank you again so much for listening. Be ready tomorrow. We have brand new content coming out here on the SAN. Thanks so much, and God bless.